and basically just puts his head down and says, not on my watch, not today. I'm not going to let my boy Russell Wilson get a pick six on the stat sheet. So puts his head down, chases him down, chases Buda Baker, who's not slow, by the way, 70 yards down the field, tackling him and saving the Seahawks from what could have been a game-defining moment. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Jake Wesson, and you're listening to Brews and Brews Reviews, the show with cold drinks and even colder takes. We've got a very special episode planned for you today, but before we get into all that, since it's the first episode, I thought it would be an appropriate time to introduce myself and talk a little bit about what the show is all about. So I'm a recent graduate from the University of British Columbia here in Vancouver, BC, where it was an honor and privilege to be part of the cross-country and track running teams while studying politics and international relations. I will admit I was never the most talented athlete while running track and cross-country at UBC, but one type of running I was pretty good at was running my mouth. So a lot of the time when I was running my mouth, talking about sports, music, politics, or whatever it was, I found myself with a drink in my hand. So I figured, why not start a talk show where I can bring on guests, review drinks, and talk about all these things. So here we are. With each new episode, we're going to be reviewing a different brew, whether that will be a local craft IPA, Pilsner, Lager, or whatever, will be dependent on how we're feeling that day and what's available. We will be scoring each drink on a 10 point scale, one being the worst, 10 being the best, and having a running leaderboard ranking all the different drinks that we've reviewed on the show. We're also going to be reviewing recent developments in sports like the NBA, NHL, NFL, talking shop, maybe we'll include some other stuff as well. But before we get into all that, I have a wonderful guest I'd love to introduce to you guys. Along with his brother Liam, Will Riley just started up his own film production company called Walnut House Pictures. They have released a short sci-fi film called Night Swimming which you can go check out on YouTube. I will post a link to that video in the description below. Will Riley is a friend and former UBC track and cross country teammate who I met during our annual Whistler preseason cross country training camp in 2017. Will was pretty quiet and reserved back then, whether that was due to his timid personality or just flat out not liking us because we're weird, nobody really knows. Rest assured, however, times are different now. People at UBC know Will for his energetic personality, as well as his devotion to achieving excellence in academics, as well as athletics. Having been honored as an academic All-Canadian for his achievements in the classroom while training at the varsity level. I know Will personally as a great teammate and an even better friend, not to mention a fierce competitor on the track. Will is a fellow poli-sci student at UBC, where we took classes and studied together. Will and I are going to talk sports, film, and maybe some other stuff too. But before we get into all that, Will Riley, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for joining us. Hey, how's it going? Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Are you thirsty today? Yeah, I am. I'm excited to try this beer you got me. <laughs> oh, this yeah. looks pretty good. All right. So, so what do we have here today? Granville Island Brewing Sip Easy Lager. So it's pretty good local brand. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're much of a lager guy, um, yeah. but uh, you know, loggers are usually pretty basic, you know, like yeah. light PBR, all those old mill, it's all loggers. So they usually have that kind of like regular, like piss water taste, whatever, but I'm hoping this one, cause it, you know, it has a little bit of orange in the label here. Mm-hmm. Um, Granville Island's also a, a local company so i'm hoping it has a little bit more of a uh summary feel to it so yeah that'd be nice let's crack right. this sucker open crack it open cheers all right cheers <laughs> one sip everyone knows the rules everybody knows the rules one sip hmm I like it. It Not tastes bad. good. Chris. It's got like a little bit of a fruity vibe to it, I guess. Just a, a little bit. bit. Just, a, just a little tidbit, you know. Definitely definitely a little bit more of a summery feel to it than, mm-hmm. you know, your regular run-of-the-mill 
old Milwaukee PBR. I'd I'd say this is a this is a solid option for summertime, kind of out on the porch, drinking at a baseball game, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, not so much right now because of the pandemic, but maybe watching a baseball game at home on the TV. On yeah. the TV, it's a nice, easy drink too. It goes down pretty smooth. Yeah, I'd, I'd say I could probably drink a couple of these. Um, I'm thinking, you know, it's not elite. It, it's not my absolute favorite. So I I wouldn't give it anything more than a seven. I, I'd say maybe like a 6.2, 6.3 kind of thing. Not a bad you, score. What do you this think? Is, this is a lot of pressure being the first one. So got to be careful with this. Can't set the bar too high. Can't Can't be too tough on it, I guess. So I'll give it a classic. I'll give it a six, six, pretty six, good. Six. Yeah. All right. So between the two of us, I guess that's like a 6.5. Yep. Notch yeah. on the ladder. We'll see how it stacks up later on. Solid. That's, that's a solid first, first beer right there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. So now that we got that out of the way, let's let's get right down to it, to the uh, the nitty gritty. So um, both coming from track and field backgrounds, having lived on the West Coast, in the Pacific Northwest, right here in Vancouver. You're in you're in Langley, I guess, but that's pretty much Vancouver to our our mm-hmm. viewers, uh, you know, out of state, out of province, both from Vancouver, right next to Seattle. Uh, both being NFL fans. So, I mean, you know, we had to do this story, right? Yeah. So we have this absolute bear of a man. And when I say bear of a man in a sports league where there's 300 pound linebackers, DK Metcalf manages to stand out as a man amongst boys. So this dude is an absolute touchdown machine, six foot three, 230 pounds, Big and strong, incredibly hard to defend against. I believe he's a top five wide receiver in the game, but I know that's probably going to get some people firing off in the comments, so I won't say anything further. That being said, with all his size and strength, he could probably play like blocker, tight end kind of position, but he's got the leg speed of a wide receiver. So this leg speed is specifically why his name is being brought up today. For those of you who hadn't heard, DK Metcalf, star receiver for the Seattle Seahawks, will be crossing over to the world of track and field this weekend, racing the 100 meters at the USA Track and Field Golden Games in hopes of making the Olympic qualifier. Will, what do you make of this whole football track and field crossover event happening this weekend? You know, it's... It's, uh, it's, it's difficult to say. I mean, I'm, I always have these arguments with my brother about specifically NBA players, how he always says, for example, like Russell Westbrook could run like 47 second 400. And I always find it absolutely ridiculous that saying like, these guys are like the top tier athletes that the United States has uh, to offer. And they're like potential in these events surely is like in the 1% tell. Right, 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 right. But to say that they can just hop off the basketball court or hop off the football field and produce a world-class time is, is ridiculous. So I really think it comes down to whether or not he's been training specifically for a long period of time. Very if true. he's put in like a couple of months in a row, uh, like crafting his body so that it's more uh, suited towards the track rather than the football field, I think he has a shot at running fast. That being said, I don't think he's going to make the U.S. Olympic team. Oh, absolutely. I mean – us, us who are experienced in the world of track and field. I mean, DK Metcalf ran track in high school. I, I don't know. I don't know what his times were. I'm sure they were pretty fast, but I mean, I'd be impressed if he could run like a 10, five, 10, six. Yeah. Especially just because of his weight. He's such a, he's such a big guy and he's got like these sprinters are not that heavy. Like no, the, the top I, of the line sprinters. What are they like? 180 170 yeah 180 max 190 maybe if it's like a real big guy like justin gatlin or something possibly. yeah i mean so he's got so much he's got so much power and so much strength but i mean he's he's like 60 70 pounds on average heavier than than these olympic track athletes and and 
like he's going this isn't this isn't a bush league event this is the usa track and field golden games there's professionals here guys that do this for a living dk metcalf is strong and powerful and an all-world athlete but you know he's he's paid to run fast and catch touchdowns he's not paid to like this is pure speed versus gridiron speed so yeah Anyways. I mean, in a different world where he chose track and field over football, perhaps we'd be having like he would be a top contender in the U.S. But I mean, if you look at the the best sprinter right now running is probably Trayvon Bromel. And he's it's just two different, completely different body types and uh, levels, I think. So I think he'll probably get his doors blown wide open at the meet on Sunday. Oh, I didn't know. Uh, I didn't know Trayvon was running. Yeah, he's back. I saw he ran, I think, nine, eight, eight, maybe. No way. He ran very fast. At, he beat some, I think he beat Gatlin and um, I, I Andre DeGrasse at a recent race. So. Canadian kid, right? Uh, Bromel's uh, US. I think he went to Baylor. Oh, really? So he, oh. he, had, he went through injury stuff. He's a New Balance athlete, but yeah, I think I know he's, he's back. I knew he was New Balance and I knew he, he was incredibly talented, but just dealing with a lot of injuries. But it's, it's mm-hmm. great to see him, him uh, back competing. Yeah. So, um, Excited to see that. So anyway, so how this all came to be this whole track football crossover. So it all started back in October um, for those of us that don't watch the NFL. So the Seahawks were playing the Arizona Cardinals and DK Metcalf had maybe the play of the year and his highlight went viral. So Basically, Russell Wilson threw a touchdown through a pass that was picked off or intercepted by Buda Baker, who is a safety for the Cardinals. And Baker would have had the whole field to himself. Everyone watching was probably thinking, I, I mean, I, I thought, you know, it's over. He's going to run into the end zone. It's going to be a pick six. But DK Metcalf this absolute machine of a human being had about a, I want to say 30 yard gap that he had to close on this guy. Don't quote me on that, but it, it, it might've been 30 yards. And basically he just puts his head down and says, not on my watch, not today. I'm not going to let my boy Russell Wilson get a pick six on the stat sheet. So puts his head down chases him down chases buda baker who's not slow by the way 70 yards down the field tackling him and saving the seahawks from what could have been a game defining moment so for those of you that haven't seen the highlight i would i would definitely search it up on youtube right away because it's absolutely breathtaking this is an offensive player who specializes in catching touchdown passes not making defensive plays or tackling guys he he actually passed two other Seattle teammates who had just given up on the play to catch up to Buda Baker and make the tackle. I, th- I think he reaches a top speed of something like 22 miles per hour. Yeah, I think I read that. It, it shows that he has the, the top end speed necessary to be a world-class sprinter, but um, to translate that onto the track again. To translate that, thing. yeah. So there's the question of like, can he start from blocks? Like what's his block start going to look like? What's his, mm-hmm. what's his drive phase going to look like? These are all questions that have yet to be answered. Yeah. It's just, it's hundred meters is a technical event. It's not like you, it's pure muscle. And yeah, maybe in high school, I mean, I assume he was probably training for it a little bit in high school, but I mean, the, the runners he's running against presumably have been training for eight plus years. Of course. For finding their block starts. So anyway, so, it's, it's a shame that the play itself didn't make much of a difference in the end because I believe in that game, Kyler Murray ends up throwing a Hail Mary touchdown to DeAndre Hopkins to seal the deal and break all our hearts, us Seahawks fans, and, and win the game in the dying minutes. But the highlight itself didn't go unnoticed because NFL Twitter lit up. The play went viral to the points where – to the point where not just NFL Twitter track accounts started reposting it 
flow track and USA track and field included in it. And it started the conversations. What were whispers are, are now, are now rumors and have become reality because DK Metcalf is stepping onto the track to see how his speed measures up against real track athletes. So, you know, um, it's, it's really remarkable what he's doing. He's stepping out of his comfort zone and, um, you know, he's, he's paid to catch touchdowns. He's not paid to run a hundred meter sprints. So with that in mind, you know, it's, it's a very rare occasion that a professional athlete will step out of his comfort zone and journey into a completely different realm. DK Metcalf is going from football to track and field but it is rare but it's not unheard of so there have been other athletes throughout history that have sort of made this jump and participated in similar crossover sports events in the past so um with uh the events happening this weekend at the golden games and dk metcalf doing his thing uh, i thought it would be a an appropriate occasion to give a, a little ranking review, a little, uh, a little review of the, um, the crossover events that have happened in the past. So will, as my, my first guess ever, I'll let you uh, go first. Can you give us your, your list of the best examples of athletes crossing over and switching professions to different sports? Hmm. It's a tough one. I think first I'd probably have to say Deion Sanders. Okay. That, I mean, okay. I'm a, that, that was my number one as well. Prime, yeah. I you, think that's, you can't, if you're doing crossover, you can't do prime. You can't leave primetime Deion Sanders out of it. Yeah. I mean, and he's obviously an entertainer now on Barstool. So he's, he's amazing. Got to give him the nod. He, he's a coach too. He coaches some, some, uh, I think it's the university level football team. Mm-hmm. Not sure which. I think but, so. I think you're yeah, right. So, like a lot of athletes in the past have done the crossover, but very, very few have been successful. Deion Sanders was a pro bowler in the NFL, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, as well as an all-star in the MLB. Can't argue with that. Can't argue. Just don't see that. that kind of success normally. All right. Who do, so who do I guess number two. Number two. You know what? I I think I'm just going to go don't, with Danny Ainge. Oh, you're going? Okay, okay, okay. I thought you were going to say yeah. someone else. <laughs> no, I'm going to go with Danny Ainge. I don't know. I've heard uh, stories about how he was, um, I mean, obviously he's a great basketball player, but a lot of, uh, I think watching the Jordan documentary, actually, or maybe there was just discussions about how uh, he was a great athlete in basketball and also baseball. And he was just a great overall athlete that was just good at everything that he did. Right. Um, obviously, as a general manager of the Boston Celtics, he's uh, yet to get it really done. I'm sure a uh, <laughs> friend of the show, Aiden Miller, has something else to say about that, but we'll see. So, yeah. Right. All right. So, you got another one for us? or Let me think. I'll, I guess I'll round out my top three probably go with uh bo jackson will be my third okay i i had bo jackson at number two yeah so that'll be my top three i like that pick same same sort of deal as Deion sanders baseball football kind of and we're leaving out um because you know like a lot of uh college quarterbacks get drafted to the mlb just because of their arm strength and accuracy Mm -hmm. and whatever just all around athleticism, ability to do it all. So I'm, I'm surprised. And okay, so you had number one, Dion, number two, Danny Ainge, Danny Ainge, three, Bo Jackson. I have Dion one, Bo Jackson two. And I'm surprised you didn't mention this one. Three is Michael Jordan. I had to say yeah, it. Yeah, you I were going to say I, it. I had to be the guy. I mean, I guess his basketball level 
puts him over the top, although his baseball career wasn't that uh, <laughs> wasn't impressive. <laughs> if, if he had played baseball for longer, maybe he would have been better, but he mm-hmm. wasn't a great baseball player. But, I mean, just having the balls to do that, being he was he was the best basketball player ever debatably i mean might might be another lebron guy that in the room that that might argue against it but perhaps perhaps there might be a big lebron guy here (laughs) he's he's basically unanimously almost unanimously considered the goat and he went over and did some baseball so I thought that was especially crazy. right in the, the prime of his career, the switching mm-hmm. to baseball like that. Gotta give him respect for it. Gotta give him respect. And um yeah, so there's our, our little ranking there. Top three crossover sports athletes. So speaking of uh crossovers and people with different talents, so Will, you're a, you're a track guy, but, you know, you don't let your sport define you. You're, you're, uh, you're interested in other things. You've recently started this, this film production company with your brother. Do you want mm-hmm. to um, tell us about how you kind of got onto that, uh, into that uh, world of um, filmmaking, how it kind of came about, how you got Sure, definitely. In I'm Liam and I have been obviously interested in movies for since we were little kids watching movies all the time in high school we uh did video production which was a class at our high school took it all the way from grade eight through to grade 12 um and then when we came to university we sort of got busy obviously I was busy with track and school and Liam was busy with school and we just didn't have the time to pursue filmmaking in the way that we were in high school but obviously COVID rolled around season got canceled last year um i found myself injured had a bit of extra time on my hands and we decided to make the best of it and pursue go back to making films and uh so in the summer of 2020 we uh throughout i guess throughout university we were still writing screenplays for films but we obviously didn't have time to produce films so in summer of 2020 we wrote a short film called night swimming and uh we decided to make it in, uh, I believe we filmed in late September of 2020. Went really, really well, awesome shoot. It was our first like full on, really intense shoot. We brought on some, an old friend from high school who had uh, gone to BCIT uh, in their media production company, our media production uh, program. And he brought in a, an entire crew. We had some actors. Um, went really well and so we decided to enter into some festivals and and we ended up getting into a few and then we posted it in uh february of 2021 and since then it's just sort of uh it blew up a little bit so right now it's sitting at uh 20,000 views i believe uh, approaching 21,000 and i uh, saw that that's amazing yeah it was it was quite remarkable we really didn't have any expectations like that going into it we thought maybe it'll get like 500 to a thousand views if we send it to all of our friends and they watch it and maybe share it with one friend. But uh, looking at the analytics, it just sort of got picked up by YouTube's algorithm and just was being recommended to, I guess, people who are interested in sci-fi short films on YouTube. Cool. So went a little bit, not viral, but way surpassed what we thought was even possible. And uh, so it was awesome. And now we're obviously we're continuing to write feature films. Liam and I have three or four feature films almost fully written or in the works. Um, and we're also producing our next short film that's coming out this summer called A Hell in the Night. So amazing. Yeah. And and I did I did watch Night Swimming. It's very cool. <clears throat> For those of you that haven't seen it, uh, I will be posting the link in the description of this video. Definitely go check it out. It's very, very cool. Um, so just just wanted to ask how how did the title how did you guys come up with the title how did night swimming come about because it kind of gives it, me you know that song by by frank ocean swim good it can no. kind of it kind of oh it's a good song anyways i'll have to listen to it reminded me of that but I, yeah I, it's I, it's funny the title actually we had a, had a, we have a bit of an argument about who came up with it first <laughs> but um we were driving to a location just to do a shoot or like a scout basically and on shuffle night swimming by rem came on 
And as I remember it, I'm like, like a, a light bulb came in my head. It's like, think like that's the idea. Night swimming is the song. Okay. Uh, is like the title of the movie is what I thought. Liam says it was him who came up with that idea. We'll bicker <laughs> with that until the day we die, I guess. Uh, um, I have to have him on to uh, for a little rebuttal. Yeah, he can he can say his his side of the story, but yeah, night swimming uh, song by REM um, deals in similarish themes, and uh, I don't know, I just like the idea of like the idea of night swimming of just just going out and doing like going swimming in the night with your friends or something like that. Um, and it's sort of like a freeing thing. And that's sort of what this movie is, is these two people who find each other who are, probably, are lonely people and they, they find each other and they like, they basically, they need each other as friends. And that's what the movie is all about really. So that's where the title came from. Cool. So we know it's about alien stuff. Um, mm-hmm. What, so why did you choose uh alien abduction as your as the sort of theme of your your first project um liam came up with the concept i think we had watched a couple films um close encounters of the third kind uh mysterious skin so that was and we knew we wanted it to be a genre piece we didn't want it to like fall into the usual tropes of someone's first short film being like uh, a non-genre specific drama that ends up just being sort of boring. Um, and we knew we could work with uh, a VFX artist. The one we worked with, his name is Isaiah Walker. He went to our high school. He's a couple of years older than us, but he's uh, worked on a couple of really big movies, some Marvel movies. Um, so he's a really talented VFX artist. So we knew we could play into the alien abduction genre and get that final shot that we wanted with the like flying saucer and then being tele like levitated up we knew we could get that shot because we had such a great vfx artist cool and so that's basically where the idea came from is liam's uh came up with the concept and we had those movies floating around in our head and we wanted it to be a genre movie we didn't want it to just be a, f- a flat drawn uh drama right okay so so the whole the main thing of the movie is these two guys that are just, they're kind of lonely and they're, they're off on their own, doing their own thing. So they're, it's, the main thing is meeting each other, but because of the alien abduction kind of thing, you were able to sort of put it in the, uh, the, the sci-fi sort of genre, right? Yeah, exactly. And the whole conceit of the film is that um, the, what these two are searching for, what they think they're searching for is aliens. And what they're really searching for is a connection. And uh, we specifically see that in uh, Clark's character. Uh, he suggests at, at about the midway point that, oh, like maybe they should just get out of there because he's sort of realizing like he's found, he's found what he, he already found what he came for. Um, but obviously the other character tells him to stay, but that's basically what they're looking for. And the, the theme is loneliness and finding a human connection. And which is, which is very applicable to the pandemic. As we yeah, it was to... obviously it was written in the summer of the pandemic. Um, I think that was probably on our minds, I guess. Uh, it, and it's like a general, it's a theme that I think is, will probably run through a, a few of our things that we do. It's, it's, uh, I think it's a universal theme and especially it's timely. Right absolutely now, so absolutely very cool yeah. so all right so this being being a sports talk show having played baseball myself you know not a big deal or anything but i was kind of a stud back in little league i have my all-stars hat somewhere but not not once again not a big deal um but i i couldn't help but notice the character scott's character in the film has a baseball mitt attached to his bag. Yep, he does. I that was that was my idea. I'll take uh, take responsibility for that. We we wanted to make sure that the characters felt alive and felt true to the era that we were trying to go for. So that like late 1950s, early 1960s, middle America, and I mean that was we we'd imagine guys that age would be they'd be into baseball and they'd be wearing the clothes that they were wearing and they'd have a ham radio and so the props and the costume design was really important in trying to sell the the timepiece i guess of the the film and you know what i i something i did notice you know i was i was around there 
I was around there snooping, like looking for uh, for errors in continuity, you know, yeah, like internet trolls. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was looking. And so the film is set in 1968. Mm-hmm. And the baseball glove that you guys used as a prop in the film is made by Rawlings. So Rawlings, I looked it up as a company, was invented in 1887. So he very well could have had a Rawlings glove at the time. So you guys were, uh, there weren't any errors in continuity there. Yeah. The, the glove was actually uh, Cole, the guy who played that character. That was, that was actually his grandfather's glove. So it was, okay. yeah, it was legit. It was, it was like, I think made in the 1920s or something, but amazing. Very cool. Yeah. So that was pretty, pretty cool Easter egg. You, you caught there. <laughs> nice. Very cool. Yeah, so I was I was gonna ask if it that was actually my next question. Like, did you guys go out and buy the mitt, like go to Sport Check or something specifically for it? But someone just had it anyways. Yeah, that's that's a lot of the props we we sort of scrounged together. Like, either different members of the crew had it, or uh, some cast members. Obviously, most of the production costs um, were renting the equipment, um, the production equipment. So. It was overall not a super expensive endeavor, uh, but filmmaking is obviously something that costs money, unfortunately, but yeah. that's how it goes. What, uh, what sort of cost, like just paying the actors or renting the equipment? Actors, actors work for free. So that was very gracious of them. Uh, yeah, it was just renting equipment. So camera equipment, lighting equipment, lenses, uh, that sort of stuff is that can pile up pretty quickly. So I think the the overall budget ended up being somewhere close to a thousand dollars. We have two other equal partners in Walnut House Pictures, uh, Tommy Gillist uh, and Brett Anderson. Uh, so we have equal ownership, I guess, of Walnut House Pictures. So we share that production cost amongst cool. ourselves. Mm-hmm. And you know, twenty thousand views with another another uh, video coming out soon. Like I'd I'd say that thousand dollars was probably maybe the best thousand dollars you guys spent yeah it was a long time it was a bit of a shot in the dark like it was a a bit of like a is this going to be worth it and obviously Liam and I hadn't directed something in so long so it was a bit of like a a test to see if like this is something that uh we think we're good at and we surprised ourselves with how well it came out so we're really excited to keep making stuff last night actually we filmed a little mini short it's going to be coming out to all the house pictures pretty soon. It's just a, it's a two guys sitting in a hot tub, having a conversation. Um, <laughs> I think I so saw it's a bit, Instagram post. Yeah. It's a bit of like a, yeah, you can see a sneak peek on the Walnut house pictures uh, on our story, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a, it's like just a conversation between two dudes. And uh, I think it's, it's more like skit oriented. So it's a bit more of a comedy compared to our other stuff. So excited to see that one come out, but yeah, we've got a lot of stuff uh, brewing right now. So continue I'm, to keep making I'm, stuff i'm very excited i'm i'm excited for what you guys have in store thank you all right and now back to sports so i wanted to cover this whole aaron Rodgers situation because the nfl draft happened pretty recently it was it was all very exciting with trevor lawrence from clemson being drafted first overall to jacksonville to the jacksonville jaguars obviously Zach Wilson out of BYU getting picked second by the New York Jets. Others among which was Mac Jones getting picked by Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. But what was most the most interesting news to come out of the draft weekend surprisingly had nothing to do with the NFL draft because arguably the best quarterback in the NFL has he on draft weekend he released a statement that he was very disgruntled with his organization and he wanted out after 16 years playing with the green bay packers aaron Rodgers has has become unhappy with the situation where he's at and he wants out and um you know there's there's a lot of different things you can take from this um but one thing I noticed is that he's not the first quarterback to have done this recently. I think the first one was 
probably about just over a year ago, Tom Brady finished finished his season with the uh, with the New England Patriots about let's say two summers ago, uh, and he he wanted out. He he left and obviously joined the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and they were extremely successful. Nobody nobody thought they would make it as far as they did. They were they weren't a very they weren't a playoff team before, and he he took them all the way to the big dance and won the Super Bowl for them against the juggernaut Kansas City Chiefs led by Patrick Mahomes, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey. Um, so Tom Brady kind of, I, I would say, I wouldn't say he opened the floodgates, but he, he sort of made it more possible for quarterbacks in the NFL to become more more mobile in the league and for the players for the players to have more power because in the nfl historically we've seen the organizations hold the power and the and the players are just pieces that they take and send wherever they want and do whatever they want with uh as we saw from colin the whole colin kaepernick situation you know what whatever you want to take from that but um recent examples have been uh, Deshaun Watson, who who tried to force his way out of of Houston, which was a losing organization, and they gave they basically gave away their their star wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins for almost nothing. I I don't know what was with that, but pretty much no one wants to play for uh, the Houston Texans right now. Uh, JJ Watt, their basically their their longtime defensive leader like superstar one of the best players in the nfl just recently left so deshaun watson wanted out there's a lot of more there's a lot more drama going on with that so we don't know how that's going to turn out he's still with houston remains to be seen where he's going to go this next season um russell wilson from just next door the seattle seahawks expressed discontent with uh with seahawks front office recently um they've had a they've had a great couple of uh seasons they they usually make the playoffs but they're always they're always kind of like an early exit they're they always you know russell wilson is considered among the top three nfl quarterbacks and um they've got a couple good pieces uh DK Metcalf, obviously included. Uh, Tyler Lockett is their other uh, great uh, receiver. Um, so, so Russell Wilson was this whole offseason. There's been tons of drama talking about how he wants to. He's been wanting to go to another team and whatever. Um, and then more recently, Aaron Rodgers, obviously. So, you know, I wanted to talk about how it's like this, this recent thing that football quarterbacks in the NFL have been sort of acting like NBA superstars. And, you know, I don't know if it's just a temporary thing, whether it's going to go on for more, more longer, but, you know, we, we've seen this a lot from, from NBA superstars, you know, starting with 2010, LeBron James, the decision, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. It's been it's been uh, remixed in in comedy. Uh, you know, people have made fun of it for years. You know, I'm taking my talents to to South Beach, whatever. Uh, and uh, you know, because before that, it was like Kobe, Tim Duncan, Jordan all played for one franchise their entire career, loyal to one franchise, didn't want to play for anyone else. You know, just like the mentality is like toughen up play with the team you've got and if it doesn't work try harder make it work and lebron mm-hmm. was the first sort of perennial superstar to kind of forge his own path and take uh take his his future into his own hands go eat so he he formed the super team that was the miami heat that consisted of Dwayne wade chris bosh and himself and they they won a couple championships down there, and don't forget Mario Chalmers. Oh, Mario Chalmers! Yeah. Can't forget about oh, Adonis Haslam. Of course, <laughs> of 
course. Yeah. Anyway, so so what do you mean? And obviously, I I I couldn't not mention James Harden this past off season because mm-hmm. it was sort of a spectacle watching him. Uh, so he played for the Houston Rockets, and they've been in the playoffs a couple of years. They made a couple uh, conference championships, but they never managed to make it all the way to the big dance. Never made a finals. Um. So he, he basically forced himself out of Houston. He didn't show up to training camp. He was partying in, in uh, I believe it was Miami or something. <clears throat> Miami, Atlanta. Atlanta. Atlanta partied it up with some rappers. Yeah. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was photographed partying with uh, Lil Baby during his birthday when he was supposed to be at training camp. Yeah. And then he arrived during the season. He was chonky to say the least (laughs) everyone thought he's he was wearing a fat suit which was insane this guy who's one of the best players in the league is has put on so much weight i i still don't understand how he did it maybe he's a shape shifter or something because in brook as soon as he was moved to brooklyn he uh started putting up monster caliber numbers and just just ripping the league apart. He was leading the league in assists at one point. He was in the MVP race. Uh, Brooklyn's doing phenomenal. They're top of the leaderboards in the East Conference. I'm, I'm not sure if they're number one right now, but but they were. I, I think they, they might still be. Might still be. They've, I mean, they've got to be considered one of the contenders this year. So Absolutely. Largely yeah. due to the pickups that they've made. Well, I, they're, the, they're the new LeBron Miami yeah, it, I mean, it's a little ridiculous. It's, and I it's think that's crazy. where the star-driven, like, uh, forcing your way out of uh, teams, I, I think the NBA has gone a bit overboard. Um, I think the NFL could benefit from putting more power in the hands of the players, especially that n- not a lot of guaranteed money for players and the level of injuries and catastrophic events that can happen to a player in the NFL is, is really, really bad and job security is an issue. So I think there can be strides made for NFL players to get guaranteed money and have a little bit more power in, in where they play and, and their environment around them. But the NBA, I think, has gone a bit overboard with the star power and the prima donna level of some it's, players in the it's, league. It's ridiculous. It's honestly getting ridiculous at this point. You know, I think it was back in, what, 2009? when Chris Paul tried to go to the Lakers and join forces with, with Kobe Bryant mm-hmm. and uh, the commissioner at the time, uh, what's his face? Adam Silver. Adam Silver. Or, no, no, not Adam Silver. Uh, oh, I'm forgetting his name now. I'll look it up. David Stern. David Stern. So David yes. Stern. Um basically vetoed the trade and it didn't happen because it would have been, <coughs> excuse me, would have been a super team. And so, um, but now we've got the Brooklyn Nets who've got arguably the three of the top 10 best players on the, on their team. At Anyways, least. Yeah. So, I mean, it's crazy to think 12 years ago, a trade like that would be vetoed. Um, and now you look at teams and that trade don't even like, Bat, bat their eyes at something like that oh no i mean chris chris paul is arguably one of the greatest point cards of all time and obviously kobe's an all-time great but i mean the teams as they are constructed now is just absolutely ridiculous and i just think it it's 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 not as good for the fans when you have players just moving around constantly um obviously yeah, you know, i'm not a big lebron hater but i'm, I'm a lebron fan i'd say <laughs> but i think it's gone overboard i mean you see kevin durant trying the warriors that was that was soft really soft and obviously the Brooklyn Nets now is, is just ridiculous. So yeah, well, I mean there's there's something to to be said about uh the value of the championships won. You know, like if if Kevin Durant wins a championship this year, I, I might just stop watching the NBA altogether. Yeah, it just hard to watch, hard to watch. That was what was so exciting about the Raptors, seeing a team like that. I mean, obviously Kawhi forced his way out of San Antonio, but he didn't force his way to a super team. He got onto the Raptors, and I mean, the Raptors were very good at the time, but 
that was like a, that was an exciting run that I'm not sure how uh, an average NBA fan would view it and what it did to the league's bottom line. But that kind of uh, result is, is a lot more exciting than seeing Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden win a championship in Brooklyn. You're, you're, you're definitely right. That, champ, that whole finals run was just spectacular. Kawhi played outstanding. Mm-hmm. Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry, Pascal. Kyle Smith. Lowry's really cementing himself as, not, as a non-choker. He had uh, earned the reputation of being a choker with DeMar DeRozan in the playoffs, and mm-hmm. he really showed up. And LeBronto. I mean, LeBronto is over. <laughs> LeBron is no longer the mayor of Toronto. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, what was I going to say? Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, well, the media, the media talks a lot about, you know, stat padding and Russell Westbrook. Well, guess what? You know what? Russell Westbrook's triple doubles, you know, they talk about them being meaningless. I'd say they have more meaning than Kevin Durant's rings. <laughs> I'm just going to put that it's out. It's a here. hot take. It's a hot take. I mean, I'm, I I think Russell Westbrook is a stat pattern. He does make he take he go he's consistently made teams better when he joined them. Uh, I don't know if he always makes the winning play. It was interesting seeing the Oscar Robertson uh, comments uh, defending Russell Westbrook. Obviously, Oscar Robertson is was in a similar position when mm-hmm. he was playing. And I'm a big Oscar Robertson guy. I think he's super underrated and possibly a top five player of all time. The thing the thing is though, back when Oscar Robertson played. They they put up so many so many more shots, so it was a lot yeah. easier to get triple doubles. That's for sure. The the rebounding they just put up way more shots, so obviously rebounding was different. But I just think you're looking at the the stats. I think Oscar Robertson is definitely underrated, but and I think Westbrook might have entered the underrated zone because of just the amount of hate that he gets. But for a certain time there, especially when he won the MVP, he was overrated. I think and. Uh, the stat padding obviously hasn't led to a championship, but it's hard to win a championship when you have your best player leave your team and join the previous champions to go win a title. So that that came back from being down three one on them on your team and proceeded to mop the floor with them and then win the champ and then and then lose three one. They did lose the, the when they were up three one. So, so but that, that was exciting in itself. But I mean. Kevin Durant is a snake for doing that. That sucks. And the Michael Rappaport uh, like DMs are absolutely hilarious. I mean, Michael Rappaport is a bit of uh, a clown, but he's such. A clown. I can't believe Kevin Durant is DMing him like th- uh, basically threats, <laughs> telling he's, him to meet him. He's threatening Michael Rappaport's life on 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 uh, direct message. But I mean, I, I think it was wrong for Rappaport to to screenshot those and post them. That's like, that's your yeah. personal business. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Michael Rappaport is obviously insane, but I, I'm a, I'm a fan solely because he was in a, a Spike Lee movie called Bamboozles and he was, he was just awesome in it. So add that to the watch list out. everyone. If you, if you want to, it's a Spike Lee movie it came out in 2000, I think. So good film. Michael Rappaport's a star. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I actually recently watched a, a Spike Lee film. I hadn't seen many before, but I watched. Um, so I was taking a, a history course on mm-hmm. the history of uh, racism in the United States. It's like a seminar course. And uh, I ended up watching a Spike Lee film called uh, Black Klansman with um, Star Wars guy. What's his name? Adam Driver. Adam Driver. Love him. He was amazing yeah. in it. Adam Driver's awesome. Um, great movie. I, I I really liked it. I I would highly recommend it. Yeah, it was a good film. It was did really well. If 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 you enjoyed that film, then obviously do the right thing. Another Spike Lee movie is an all time classic. Uh, great film, and it deals with race in America as well as Bamboozled deals with race in America. So, Spike Lee definitely one of the all time directors. So. Yeah. So going back to Russell Westbrook, you know, people love to hate on this guy. The media loves to bash him, call him a stat patter or whatever. The fact is the Washington Wizards are 10 times more watchable this year than they were last year. 
Oh yeah. Big time. You you can't argue with that. Russell Westbrook is putting up incredible numbers. Call it stat padding, call it what you want. The Washington wizards are winning games. And they're going to, they're going to make the playing tournament. So, and you know what? Watch out for Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal in the playing tournament, because you know, Russell Westbrook's going to be moving at 170 miles per hour. He's going to be dunking on people and and growling and and talking to the talking to the opposing team bench i am incredibly excited to watch him and bradley beal just go to work in this playing tournament um what what i mean i'm a big bradley beal guy i've got him on my fantasy team so i need him to put up numbers he's he's uh he's going for the scoring title this year isn't he yeah he's i mean he's a I think in fantasy is a top top shooting guard in the league right now. So he's, I mean, he's been good for years. He's just obviously hasn't had any pieces around him besides John Wall, who's been hurt for a while while yeah. he's in Washington. So yeah, he's a good player. Raptors yeah. almost got him a while ago. That would have been cool, but that that would have been really cool. Yeah, the rap. Oh, it's been so up and down for the Raptors. Really hard to watch the Raptors. Last couple of games have been brutal to watch. Losing. Obviously, yesterday in overtime, which is uh, it's tough to watch. Tough. Yeah. But um, you mentioned fantasy. It's it's been it's it's been a difficult year for some of us. You know, uh, some might call it Mickey Mouse season. Others might say this one should count. I mean, uh, personally, I'm running an undefeated season right now, seventeen and zero, about on my way to knocking wood, win the championship. We're both in two leagues right now, and I mean, I'm in. I'm going to be in the final in both leagues. So what can I say? If I lose the game, it's a Mickey Mouse uh, championship. If not, then obviously it should all count. But oh, it's uh, man, the heartbreak, the heartbreak of this year in fantasy. To put to put it in perspective, I, okay. So midway through the season, one of my best guys, Shea Gilgis Alexander out for plantar fasciitis and you know knowing the oklahoma city thunder they weren't gonna make any effort to bring him back early or put him in games or anything they they do not want to win games right now yeah oklahoma city i I don't know what uh what's his name scott brooks is doing he's basically just farming first round picks good for him he's got like 20 of them in the next five years. So they're going to be a good team. But so Shea Gilgis Alexander went out. And by the way, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Canadian kid, I think he's one of the most underrated players in the league. He won't get recognized. He won't get an all star just because the league is so point guard heavy right now. There's so many really, really good guards that he's, it's, it's almost impossible, especially in the West. It's almost mm-hmm. impossible for for a guy like Shea to, to get on on uh, the All Stars and to get recognized, but he's unbelievable. He's an unbelievable talent. Um, so first he got injured, then Jamal Murray, another Canadian oh, guy. That was devastating, especially for Liam and I. We oh. placed down a big bet on the Nuggets a couple of days before the injury to win the championship, and obviously we had to pull out ended up losing like 20 bucks on the bet, but I was just, I don't know why he was playing reported knee uh, soreness before the game goes down with an injury. It's just, it's just brutal. Heartbreaking. The Nuggets could, yeah, the way, the way Jokic is playing and he's going to win the MVP by the way. Yeah, for sure. Like, like sure. he should almost, almost no question about it. Um, they could have won the title. They, they could have contended for that title this year. As much as, uh, People want to hate on Aaron Gordon. That lineup with Aaron Gordon, Jokic, and Murray, and the rest of their starters was Michael Porter Jr. playing awesome. Like, they're they are unbelievable. They they were they were taking the West Conference by storm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So first, Shea SGA, then Jamal Murray tears his ACL. Then Zach Levine is out for health and safety protocols, which is just like, first of all, 
I want to take a second to admire my GM skills because not to toot to my own horn or anything, but nobody, nobody could have predicted the unbelievable season that Zach Levine has been having. I picked him. It was a late pick, but I, I had, I just had this feeling and I said, you know what? Zach Levine is going to go off the season and guess what? First, first time all-star he's been putting up MJ numbers he scored 50 a bunch of times. So he's out in the first round of the playoffs. And by this point, three of my four players are gone. LaMarcus Aldridge retires. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? It's it's like, and, and at that point, I was just like dropping all my star players and just picking up these scrubs from waivers. I'm, and I'm it's happy. too bad your team was you were like on the upward trend too before the playoffs like you looked had, like you're i had like a 10 game winning streak it was unbelievable yeah it was brutal brutal i mean i i've i've had a similar issue with uh right now i have jeremy grant on both my teams and uh he's getting rested just because the pistons are tanking to hell so he hasn't played in a bunch of games and it's basically just because uh pistons are tanking in so it's, it's definitely a, a unique season with fantasy and it, it requires some luck for sure. And also requires constantly adding and picking up players on the waiver wires and you just getting lucky with that. But I mean, obviously it worked out for me. So I'm, I'm no glad you're in yet. the final, but you know what, if it hadn't been for injuries, I might be seeing you in the final. I know we were in the same bracket, so you might've been having to see me. And who's who's the other guy? Is it is it? It's not set yet, but it's looking like it's going to be me and uh, Riley, uh, Riley in the our uh, UBC league, and then okay. in the Chilliwack league, it is me and I think it's really tight between Logan and Liam right now. Oh wow! Yeah, might be a, might so, be a Riley brothers final. Might be a Riley brothers final. We'll see. And just by the way, I swept Logan in the regular season. Just putting that out there. He had the best. He had the best record in the. He had the league. best record, and I beat him two times out of two. So, Logan, if you're listening to this, I would have had you, but injuries. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been a, it's. So, like, speaking of all these injuries, given that it's a shortened season with a shortened shortened off season less time to rest do you think it's the short off season and the uh like all the covid testing messing up with with players sleep schedules and their their uh their rest schedules and whatever do you think that has any because it it just seems like it's either players it's either teams load managing mm-hmm. just resting their players not one which to... by the way isn't great for fans like you want to be seeing the star players play every day but at the same time fans, but it's, it's it like... does seem like the injuries are are really bad specifically this year and i think it's partly due to the uh shortened break between the season and also i just the amount of pounding that nba players do i don't think that enough nba players really value um like quality recovery between seasons they Absolutely. go from playing in the nba to playing in the playoffs and then they go play their summer leagues and they are already back training like very quickly after and the pounding that they go through on their legs, like jumping up and down on a basketball court in basketball shoes. That is not it's, good it's for just, your knees. it's just bad for your knees. And, and these guys definitely are, are walking around with some like minor injuries that are precursors to things like MCL tears uh, or ACL tears that I think should be prioritized by teams to be like, they should be constantly getting MRIs for their, t- uh, players and like constantly checking in with those types of things as the as the game progresses i think i think that's what teams should be focusing on in the future absolutely so do you think it's it's more just because of like a culmination of all these things shortened off season covid protocols all this or do you think it's any different this year i i i mean perception wise it seems like it might it seems worse but it's hard to say for sure someone would have to do a study to see really like if the rate of injuries is worse this year, but in any case, it seems bad. And I think, uh, I mean, 
the, the, the injuries are really, really bad this year. The, for sure. the league definitely needs to do a better job of helping the players because it's just – it does not seem good on there. First of all, all these changes to their routines and their recovery processes mm-hmm. and, like, mental health is a big thing and it's affecting their physical health, their recovery routines and not all this stuff. It's just it, – it seems like the players are dealing with a lot right now. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And it sucks, but that's the way it is. Is what it is. I'll take my fantasy one this year. <laughs> Mickey Mouse. Take your Mickey Mouse ring along with Kevin Durant. Me and Kevin Durant, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I, I think that pretty much covers it. Oh, it was really fun. Thank you yeah. for having me on. It was a lot of fun and uh Hopefully we can get back on sometime soon with my brother. We can talk movies a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's do uh we should definitely do a, a film episode. We talk about where we talk about, you know, nerdy, nerdy stuff, comic books and all that. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe a little uh NBA power rankings. I was I was gonna say I was gonna maybe get you to do a power rankings and we would we would uh both do a power ranking, but that's kind of it's kind of your brother's thing. And out of, out of respect to him, I, I wanted to leave that up to him. Yeah, that's, that's his thing for sure. Yeah. He'd love All to right, do well, that. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, uh, enjoy the beer. Yeah, cheers. Uh, let me grab it. Cheers. Cheers. There you go. All right, bye. Yeah, till next time.